Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know. Ask Katie anything. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Ask Katie Anything. I am joined by my wonderful friend, psychologist and trauma specialist, Dr. Alexa Altman, and we are here to chitty chat and answer your questions as always. But how are you? Good. Just check. I always just check in with them. So oh, now I get to check in with you. Really good. Yeah. Happy to be here with you. I know we have Leo. You can't, I don't think you can see him, but he's sleeping next yeah. to her. He's our little dog and he is very adorable. He always has his head tilted to the side. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's his way of being like, are you, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Extra no, cute really. mm-hmm. <laughs> Super cute. Um, this will be the last video that I film in this apartment. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I mean, I could talk about that for an hour. I know. It's it's crazy, you guys. Behind the camera is just a shit ton of boxes. It is. <laughs> and it's very, it's just, it's like I'm ready to be done, but there's still like the grief that comes along with it. I don't think I thought that I'd be bummed at all mm. because you know like even you guys can't hear this but we have like the noisiest upstairs neighbor that just moved in and it is like it's it's horrible so like all the more reason to be like get the hell out of here (laughs) but i feel like that happens right before a move you get extra spicy about Mm -hmm. leaving like before you go to college or whatever that thing is you're like ready to go yeah and i do think there's like and all the noises sound even that much worse but i think oftentimes that unexpected punch of like what i'm leaving and that you've spent so much time here. Yeah, I mean, the channel, it's funny to think like work-related, like the channel was born here. <laughs> like this is where we first shot, like the video was shot right there. We didn't have a TV up on the wall. I hang, I, I hung a white sheet <laughs> that we had in the closet <laughs> to just give us a, a solid background. Um, and I filmed the video. That was like how it started, which is just really crazy to think of. Um, but right. yeah, you birthed it here. Yeah, it's like, interesting. It'll always be the house that you started it. Yeah, it's just crazy. And yeah, wrote two books. And did you feel that way? Like after bringing your boys home from the hospital and stuff and like leaving that home? I mean, yeah, I feel like it'll always represent like the sweet time. Mm-hmm. Unco- I mean, I don't know, uncomplicated in some ways. And, you know, every hallway and every, you know, it's like has a memory totally and you know to think thank god you left in a high note here too where it's like probably imagine you'll think about this place with a certain set of like different positive experiences yeah and i think that it's hard to have that when you're leaving yeah you know it is and i like the the uncomplicated Mm -hmm. because that is kind of what it was here even now things are more complicated than they were when we first moved in like Sean and I weren't married yet when we first moved in here. We got married like a year later. Um, the channel wasn't what it, it was like a hobby. <laughs> right. This little thing on the side. It was just a random thing we did every Mondays. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And we'd only lived in this part for like six months when we started the, it's just weird. I had like another job, <laughs> like four other jobs. Right. Was your full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just even the birth of the idea to start. That's that. actually Sean, yeah. It was Sean? Mm-hmm. Had, I take no ownership. I am not a camera person. I would never want to put myself in. How did he bring it up to you? Um, It was because he'd gone to this event. Because Sean back, if you guys don't know, Sean had a production company. And he has been in film production since he went to Film Academy like for college back in, like I don't know, 1998, 99 in New York. And 
he had gone to an event because he did a lot of corporate video, which really just means any of the videos you see on other people's websites were usually done by somebody. It's probably Sean and his <laughs> business partner, Lamar. <laughs> and so they did a ton of those types of videos. And he was at this one event. And it was actually, of all people, I don't know if people know who this is, but Shalene Johnson, who does like workout videos. Mm-hmm. And she was just launching her own thing because she was still with Beachbody at the time. Anyways, this conference that she'd put on and she talked about the power of YouTube and educating and like reaching your end consumer. Because for her, it was like selling her stuff. Like she has, I'm sure, like workout clothes probably. I don't follow her, but like workout videos, things like that at the time, like DVDs, I'm sure, or whatever. Um, and Sean came home and he was like, you know, someone was talking about this and like, as I was filming, I was like, Katie should do that because she specializes in eating disorders and she always says nobody understands it. And like, he's like, you should just put some stuff online, like educate people. And I'm like, as any therapist would say, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> therapist, therapists stay anonymous. Exactly. Most of the time. It's just part of what yeah, we do. Right. And so as we, both of our husbands are very similar in this fashion that they're very entrepreneurial and I am not. <laughs> you wouldn't know it i know and i'm much more risk adverse i get that and they're both our husbands much more risk i don't know uh like run into the fire yeah like comfort <laughs> those two can go together adrenaline exactly yeah they just are adrenaline junkies mm-hmm. um and so anyway so sean brought it up and i was like no 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 uh and then six months later or so he started sending me videos from people like jenna marbles and people who were on youtube like when it first started and he was like people do this like it's a thing you know because i was like isn't that just like random like sending videos to your family and cat videos you have to think about what youtube <laughs> was back then <laughs> in like 2010 2011 um anyway and that's how it, it began all here it's the end of an era it is i mean just to think about what that era really meant and looked like mm-hmm. for the birth of so many things yeah it's crazy and that's what i always try to i like to be reflective i don't know it's just part of i think it's me processing is really what it is but i always try to remind myself in situations like this where we can easily see the end of one chapter and the beginning of another you can hold this chunk of time and i can say wow in 10 years a lot has changed which obviously 10 years is a long time but it's really not in some ways and so when people lose sight like friends or even patients or you know viewers i'm always like you you'll be surprised how far you've come. Mm. We get so caught in the day-to-day that we mm-hmm. think, oh, it's just the same, like same shit, different day. <laughs> or or get, like what you said, or get caught in the next thing mm-hmm. and in the dreaming of the future planning or which is so easy to do to really take the time. Yeah. I appreciate that. So it's interesting to think of that and like, wow, that's like a whole life change essentially. Mm. But, and now Texas, here we come. Yeah. Yay. I mean, I, it's so interesting because we we're just talking about just how your setting and the people you find in the new setting mm-hmm. start to impact what you create in the new thing. Yeah. And so what I'm really curious about is how this change will change you. Yeah. You know, and of course we know it'll be a positive change because you create positive positivity where you go oh my god that sounded so like pop psychology but (laughs) you do create positivity but i'm just so curious in ways that are unknown that can't be known how it will yeah yeah well and it's interesting when you create and we all create things by the way it's not just like video creation you know um but when when in a new area and around new people like i i that's why i've I think I said this to you the other night when we were hanging out, like not work related, um, <laughs> where I was like, I'm ready for the shakeup. Mm. Like we've been here for 10 years and I feel, I do feel very stagnant in some ways. 
other ways not but in a lot of also 2020 being in this apartment for an entire year right i mean yeah stagnant. it's like the definition of stagnation yeah just mm-hmm. like literally just sitting more than i've ever sat before mm-hmm. it's, it's just ugh. so i'm ready i'm ready for a shake up shake up yeah mm-hmm. that's exciting mm-hmm. so anyways okay we'll get into their questions that yes. sounds good let's do it okay now we have eight we'll see if we get through them all if they don't if we don't I will push them off into the next episode. Don't worry, because I know many of you notice when I've hearted them and you're like, hey, where'd that one go? I always answer them. Do not fret. And if you're new here, welcome. I ask for the questions on Sunday mornings on the the YouTube channel for my podcast. Now that channel is called Opinions That Don't Matter because that's the name of the podcast I do with my husband. <laughs> and it's on the community tab at 6 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Sundays. I ping you in the community tab asking for your questions. And don't worry if your question doesn't get a ton of thumbs ups. I also randomly pick two that might have no thumbs ups, one thumbs, it doesn't matter. I just like scroll really quickly and boom, stop. So also on my Patreon page, if you need a question answered at the $20 tier and above, I you take your questions every month in a live stream. And they're usually like three, four hours long. And we just chitty chat mm. up a storm. Love that. So much stuff. Okay. <laughs> so, much stuff. so let's get into this first question. <laughs> It says, hey, Katie, for the past six months, I now realize that I dissociate. It can be kind of a shock to recognize that you dissociate. Big time. I didn't realize up until now because I had only heard of more severe types of dissociation. I blame myself for that. We should have been talking about the lighter Mm. things like maladaptive daydreaming, things Mm -hmm. like that. My therapist told me that some people who dissociate can go for long periods of time and not remember any of it. True. Okay. Some people can even go to foreign countries in a dissociative state. I'm assuming that's like maladaptive daydreaming, like we're going there in our mind. Oh. Sounds like. Okay. He said that some people feel like they're outside of themselves. Yeah. um, Deep Deep personalization. And can see themselves as, see themselves as if they're a different person. I feel numb quite a lot of the time. And I worry that I won't get that feeling back. Mm. You will. Don't worry. I like that you said back. Mm Mm-hmm. That means she has had that before. Mm-hmm. So we ha- that's good because yes. we can tap into that and tap we remember. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, da, 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 da. My therapist said this is a form of dissociation. Mm. When I was in a psychology op- or psychotherapy appointment, I could hear my therapist talking, but it was like his words were more noise. Mm. And it was like I couldn't understand it. Again, that depersonalization. Wah, wah. Uh-huh. The, the, that mom at the, mm-hmm. and peanuts. Um, he wasn't telling me anything complex, so it wasn't a case of me not understanding him. Can you please give us some examples of dissociation that aren't as severe? Mm. I've spent my whole life not realizing I dissociate. I only knew about the severe way that people do it. Thank you for all your help. Your videos have helped a lot. Of course. Very welcome. I'm glad it was helpful. Um, so my first inkling is like, I talk about dissociation on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like they've only heard of like, and we talked about this a little bit before because I wanted her to, I didn't want her to just spring these on her, um, <laughs> is dissociative fugues. Right. So do you want, do you feel Se- comfortable explaining to people severe. what those are? Well, I, first just the idea of dissociation as a defensive protective response. It's like the intelligence not to be afraid. It's really the intelligence of your nervous system. I think it's important to say that. Mm-hmm. It's life preserving. It's like really helps. It's like, you know, turning off the fuse box when the house is ready to explode into fire, right? We need to be able to shut it down. I love that. I yeah. always call it like the our brain pulling the rip cord. Ooh. Like it's jumping out of the plane. It's Ooh. like, and so it, it's a love parachute. It. Love it. Ah! It is a parachute, right? I got to pull away from this for right. a bit and just float. Right. <laughs> so that fugue state, so we think of, I mean, the idea of um, 
multiple personalities. People mm-hmm. think about that, where there's whole states or ego states that are completely cut off from other states, which means you could have another personality. This is very extreme, by the way, and usually only occurs with people who've had severe, severe early, early trauma, where you have whole personalities that aren't aware of other parts and personalities. Yeah, it's almost like uh, you co- a complete switch out, hence why mm-hmm. it used to be called multiple personality Correct. disorders before it was you yes. know, dissociative identity. identity disorder. Yes. They always change the names and yes. it's fine. Yes. Um, but that it's even, um, I remember reading in school and they, you know, they had those videos that they taught us mm-hmm. with. And there was one woman who in one state or one personality would uh, wear glasses and in another she wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is like mind blowing to me. Right. And one would smoke a cigarette and the other hated cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Like, right. It, it's crazy. So if we think about it, I worked with somebody once where there was a 16 year old boy state who talked and walked like a teenager mm-hmm. and if you think about it we all have teenage parts inside of oh, us oh 100 right? i have a toddler she yeah. tantrums <laughs> i have a six-year-old that it's not pretty when she comes out to make dinner and so we think about that but we know or maybe we don't really know these other parts are coming out but they're more integrated meaning they're still part of the whole of our personality mm-hmm. um so that's what we think of like these more extreme forms of dissociation where there's less awareness that one part is out and there is a part that could go on vacation and, yeah. and and function in the world in that way. But I think about that continuum, more often what you see in dissociation is numbing, yeah. is you see foggy, forgetful. Sometimes it can look like forgetfulness, um, exhaustion, even though a person, some, it could actually sometimes look like depression. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think there is something to like that lack of concentration, mm-hmm. the difficulty focusing, mm-hmm. because one of the like what I would and I don't like to say like minor major because it's all dissociation, yeah. but like in a not as long lasting or maybe as severe as some, you could like not know how you got to work and got home. Mm-hmm. Like you might have that little mm-hmm. chunk, mm-hmm. that dissociative state that mm-hmm. was like, because I know that when our brain pulls a ripcord or when it unhooks a fuse box. It's doing it protectively, and therefore part of our brain isn't on board, right. so we don't actually form memories. Right, 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 right. And right. I don't know exactly why. Like I read a bunch of stuff for my book that's coming out about, mm-hmm. and it was some of it was way over my head, and some of it was fine, but a lot of it was about like where they think trauma memories are formed, mm-hmm. and if we are dissociated, like is, are we able to form memories? Some people believe yes, some people believe no, mm-hmm. some people believe they're just like scattered, almost like trauma memories are in general, right, where they right, don't right. have beginning, middle, middle end. end. Yeah, I don't know. So I think it's also just as far as the alarming to think, oh my God, I dissociate, this isn't on. This, I, I think that can be very scary. I, that's mm-hmm. what I kind of was interpreting yeah. in the question, like what does this mean? How do I get it back? And the thing I would say about the back is the fact that you've had, you've been embodied at some point in life where you remember feeling things, that would probably be where I would start is mm-hmm. slowly into sensations of a memory of a time particularly probably where you felt safe or connected or cared for is a good way back in. Because, you know, the minute we get back into the body, what's waiting for us, I don't want to sound like a scary movie, but <laughs> what's waiting for us, that's not da, a good, da, da, no. <laughs> what's here or there <laughs> is what sent us out in the first place. So we got to go in slowly. And, um, you know, the other thing that just occurred to me is people that 
tend to dissociate more. Sometimes you'll see a lot of accidents, mm-hmm. falls, car accidents, because they're not orienting to the environment. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you might not know that that's what's going on. It's like, oh, or I'm clumsy. I'm clumsy. I stumble clumsy. a lot. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that would be as a patient or as a clinician, either one, just, you know, kind of be on the lookout for. Hmm, that's that interesting. Experience. Yeah, because I yeah. think that's, and that's also, again, kind of to this person's question, like some examples could mm-hmm. be that. I mean, we all have blips where we space out, quote unquote, space out mm-hmm. and don't know, like don't remember, like uh, like I'll be in the shower deep in thought and I'll be like, did mm-hmm. I wash my hair? Right. I don't remember. Right. Did I lock the car? Mm-hmm. Did I lock the door? You yes. You think about all sorts and you don't remember. Mm. Like just this morning, Sean and I were trying to recycle paint and tires because <laughs> we're moving. So we have all sorts mm-hmm. of random crap. Um and he was like, I can't find my wallet. And I was like, well, think back to when you last had it. It wasn't there. He was like, I don't know. I don't know. And then, of course, as not to say that men can't find things, but as <laughs> <laughs> as the woman of the house, I found it right away. But I think it's a really good example because during stressful life events, mm-hmm. like when there's a lot going on, I think that is when yeah. we tend to dissociate a bit more. It's just too much information going on in there. And then I think about in therapy where there's a lot of emotional arousal and activation. She was saying with her therapist, the wah, wah, wah. Yeah. I was like, sometimes if you can notice the dissociation happening, which already is huge progress, right? Like, yes. oh, wait, I'm not hearing you right now. You could name that in the session with the therapist, like, oh, I think something's happening right now. Maybe you don't even know what's happening, but something's mm-hmm. happening. What's really cool about that is you noticing that that's happening is presence. So even if you're dissociated, the fact that you're saying it and maybe uh, naming it to the other person, that is the beginning of a different kind of awareness. Mm-hmm. And so we might say there's a part of you that's dissociated, but there's a part of you that's not. Because there's a part of you is aware, and that awareness right. is huge. Huge. Like you can work months and months and months to try to get someone to have awareness of when it's happening. That's right. And I feel like if with anything in therapy, just having someone know is key mm-hmm. because then we can track back to like before mm-hmm. if they remember. That's right. And then we can try to again. We can enable resources. Yeah. We can use. There's even like um someone was just telling me a uh, member of our community that like bergamot like pulls or like that smell. Mm. And I've used peppermint in my office sometimes or uh, orange like uh-huh. stronger scents. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, fidget toys, fidget toys, noticing colors in the room. So yep. you you could start orienting mm-hmm. and then notice the difference. Like what's really cool when you start to notice dissociation and then noticing presence and being able to feel that shift um, and be able to feel that out in the world. It's very powerful. Yeah, but because a lot of times it's the it's just that awareness that is so key to the healing. Mm-hmm. You know, and so often in life we're just kind of like not mm-hmm. aware like mm-hmm. blindly you know just like mm-hmm. going through our life so i think the fact that you already have this awareness is key i think that was leo did he make a little yes. noise <laughs> <laughs> my little white poodle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but yeah hopefully that helps you better understand what dissociation can look like in cases that aren't you know like complete dissociative fugues mm-hmm. or lasting i've also i do want to normalize too that some people have told me over the years that they'll be like huge chunks if not their whole life where they feel like they've just been in and out and they're not really sure and so that's why i've talked about in the past how having huge chunks of memory loss is indicative of something Mm. happening but it's not so important that we know what happened during that time it's kind of tracking back to the last time we remember Mm. you know like um 
I'll have even friends, but also patients will be like, I don't remember anything from like, I don't know, like third grade to middle school, you know, well, these huge swaths of time that we're like, I can't really account for that. And that's, again, dissociation most likely caused by something traumatic would be my, you know, hypothesis. Yeah, I think it's a good starting hypothesis. Yeah. Yeah. And just be curious then. Mm -hmm. Right. Not as I think a lot. That's I think the, the bigger picture here of like, let's not create alarm, just the curiosity yeah no judgment just no judgment. be curious be curious okay let's move on to question number two <laughs> okay question number two says hi katie i really struggle with boundaries join the club i recently went to my teacher to talk about mental health struggles and she helped me so much that's great it's a great resource mm. she even shared stories about her and her experience is this crossing a boundary mm. should i not do this again how do i know when i'm crossing boundaries thank you so much this is a good question. And boundaries are something that I feel like we're always all trying to get better at. Mm. Um, the thing that I do think is super cool about our, our bodies and our nervous system is it tells us when someone has crossed our boundaries. We won't know if we've crossed someone else's, mm. but that, um, for instance, and I've used this example before, back before COVID when we would be in a crowded restaurant waiting for a table or something and someone, usually a guy but not always, would come behind you and put your hand, their hand mm. on your back. But I can see Sean and I know it's not him. I have like a visceral, like, huh, like who are you? I don't like that. It's crossing a boundary, a physical mm. boundary. I didn't say you can touch me. I don't know you. That makes me uncomfortable, right? That sensation, we have that emotionally too. When we find ourselves avoiding people, when we feel like our buttons are pushed by something, something's happened where, where there's this emotional boundary that's been crossed and it's identifying that for ourselves. That's like, again, like back to the first question, that identification or that awareness is like the first step as we learn more. Be curious, you know? I, I really appreciate that level of like um, tracking of body and and awareness and then my question for the person who wrote the question is what what what's un what like why are you asking what was uncomfortable about the teacher giving you that much information because it maybe was more than typically you'd find in that role mm -hmm. and is there concern that it's going to get more or was there something uncomfortable about what was given so i think i'd want to know if you know, did you did you feel like the information that was provided was inappropriate? Did you feel like there was an overshare? Did you feel pressure? Was there um, something that lingered after for you? Because um, on paper, I read that and I was like, well, it sounds sounds pretty good. Actually, sounds like a pretty awesome, supportive teacher. Um, but what is the concern next? You mm -hmm. know, like I think. Um, that kind of intimacy maybe with the teacher of not knowing or understanding the boundaries of that when a teacher kind of lets you in in a different way or a person lets you in in a different way. Uh, totally. And it could, there could be some discomfort mm -hmm. and it could come from a lot of different places. It could just be different mm -hmm. and different is uncomfortable, or it could even be indicative of something else that's happened. Like mm -hmm. maybe we are a parentified child and our parent always told us about their relationships and things that mm -hmm. shouldn't be shared with children. And so having another adult tell us about their experiences is like triggering. Um, again, going back to the, like being curious and not judgmental, I'd be curious about that. Like, was that uncomfortable for you or not? Was it just, mm -hmm. hey, I felt like maybe they shared too much 
and I'm wondering if I pushed for that. Like, mm. is it? That's a good question. Is it a people pleasing thing or is it a boundary thing? Right, right, right. Because I think if 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 going into that level of inquiry, you could really understand what's behind the question and what might be behind some of your feelings about mm-hmm. it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I don't think uh, to answer the question directly, like, <laughs> is this crossing a boundary? It's possible, but we don't really know. Mm-hmm. To me, reading it, same as Alexa, I'm like, this sounds wonderful. Great support. Mm-hmm. A, a great teacher who's really empathizing with mm-hmm. you. That's what sharing personal experience. Mm-hmm. And therapists do it too. It's just not as frequent mm-hmm. because it's your session, not ours. Mm-hmm. And the only reason we would share something is because we think it would help you. Right. It's a good, it's actually a really good point in therapy. I think it's similar if you're, if you feel like your therapist is oversharing mm-hmm. and how you know the difference when they're sharing that supports where you are in a way that maybe you feel joined or understood, or you feel like you have to take care of them because they're sharing so much. So <laughs> that's when, you know, I think the boundaries cross when, when you no longer feel like they're in service of you, mm-hmm. but in service of themselves in some way. That's a great indicator. I don't know mm-hmm. if I've ever thought about that, but you are right. Mm-hmm. Because as a peop- as a recovering people pleaser, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's some, my therapist has never done this to me, but that I would be so quick to jump into that role mm-hmm. and it would be super unhealthy. It'd be like feeding into old patterns that mm-hmm. I'm trying to prevent from right. continuing. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. interesting. So right. yeah, so paying attention to that, but number one, I'm really glad you reached out to your teacher. Teachers are great resources, especially if they're supportive and understanding, which this one sounded like you know they were. Um, should you not do this again? The only reason I would say to not would be if there is some discomfort, like lingering. If there's something about that engagement or that conversation that that bothered you, and we need to work on that in therapy. Do you, does that make sense? Do you agree? I do. I do. And I think, again, the question would be if it lingered and then you discovering why it lingered. Mm-hmm. You know? And it was something like, yeah, not big, not necessarily big, but just mm-hmm. something upsetting that we needed to try to process mm-hmm. or figure mm-hmm. out. Um, and then just to answer finally, how do I know when I'm crossing boundaries? Mm-hmm. Again, you'll only know for two reasons. You'll know because it's your boundary and you feel it which it, everybody experiences them differently. Like I talked about the physical boundary of someone putting their hand on you mm. and it's not consensual and you don't know who that person is. You're like, oh, you don't like it. Or the emotional where you feel like we all know when someone overshares and we don't really know them that well. If if that that emotional connection isn't reciprocated with us, we can feel like, wow, that's too much, like overwhelmed. We can feel exhausted after engagement mm-hmm. with them because that's like an emotional vampire. Someone who, again, we're the caretaker. They always, they like, oh, I'm a martyr. You know, like, oh, rescue me. Mm-hmm. That can be exhausting. <laughs> we can find ourselves avoiding contact in general with people. We can find ourselves like prickly around them. Like, um, I'm not really an easy to anger person. But if someone does that in me, something's up. Mm-hmm. Like it's an indicator of something, right? Could be a boundary something Mm -hmm. to look into. Um, And again, these are not hard and fast. These are just like things, ideas to get you thinking so that you can recognize it in yourself. Because for me, it's the exhaustion. Mm. I'll feel that first and the avoidance. Mm. And so So what does your exhaustion feel? Like, how do you know? Like if, what's your experience when you're like, huh, I really get that. That's how it feels. That's what my, how I. I guess like after spending time with that person Mm -hmm. for let's say even just more than an hour, like more than just like a casual uh, okay. contact, I guess, that I I like need alone time. Like I don't want to talk to Sean. I don't want to call my mom on the way home or you know what I mean? I'm just like, I just have to go inside and like recharge. And 
I've noticed that with friends I'm no longer friends with because of that reason, because part of my work in therapy was to recognize when that's happening and to to set up boundaries, hey, <laughs> and say like to change the subject to something about me or another benign situation. And I found that they could never do that. It was like always pull tractor beam back. And so I was always exhausted. And so then the second stage of me realizing was me avoiding their phone calls, texts, not wanting to see them, Mm. just like putting it off because I knew it was going to be so taxing. And then my therapist saying like, has there ever been a time that you felt cared for or nurtured by them? And this reciprocation, because we all go through tough times, right? We might need to lean on a friend for more support during a tough time, but I couldn't recall one. And she was like, you might want to consider if that's worthwhile for you, you know, and it wasn't spoilers, jump, <laughs> jump forward <laughs> six months of me. <laughs> but I think that like what you're saying, the only way through that is through that inquiry and then trying things out yeah, and then discovering. And I think what you named is how do I know when I'm crossing a boundary? It's really your boundary. Yeah. And you can't know anybody else's boundary. The only way you'll know is if they tell you. Yeah. But people are not very good communicators. No, no one gets that skill. I feel like it should be a course in high school. It should be. How do you tell people proper ways to treat and not treat you? Yeah. How do we communicate that healthfully? Yeah. Skillfully. Yeah. I feel like it is a skill and people are well-meaning most of the time. I really do believe that. They're just, and parents for the most part, just unskilled, Mm -hmm. you know, or unexperienced, inexperienced in that way. So yeah, I do feel like the question though has me thinking that you're already asking the right question yes, and that you're looking up the right things and that you can experiment with yourself, track how you feel. I love what your therapist did, which was give you examples of like, huh, okay, what what are the needs I'm having met? Can I try things out and see? Mm-hmm. And I think it's only through that experimentation. You can't do it in your head. You really need to be you need to try in the it. field. Yeah, and I think that's why like boundaries are such a tricky thing um and why it took me so much work in therapy to like try things out start noticing Mm -hmm. um but again only if they tell you will you know someone else's because it's not your responsibility again like as a you know recovering people pleaser you don't have to read everyone's every move and emotion to try to guess where that is that's not your job it's other people's jobs to communicate And people might not communicate boundaries per se, but they will communicate upsets or they will communicate expectations, hopefully. And those are all things that we can ask for. We can do ourselves. We can practice so that someone feels free to do the same back, like to reciprocate. And that's really it. Because as my therapist would say, you can only clean your side of the street. Mm. You can't clean the whole street. You'd be exhausted. It'll get all messied up again. It does because they're they don't they don't want it clean. No, I mean it's great when you're with somebody that's interested in doing that too. Oh, one hundred percent. Well, then the relationships develop and grow into like something yeah. more beautiful. Flourish, exactly. Yeah, but hopefully that helps. I know boundaries are so complicated, oh, so complicated, and it's something that I feel like even as someone who's acutely aware, <laughs> I still struggle. Yeah, and I'll find myself in relationships. Where I'm like, well, this isn't beneficial. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I think you can't know yeah. for a while. So like even with in this example with the teacher i feel like sometimes it's like it takes time to really feel out and have multiple interactions before so also don't be too hard on yourself if you discover that boundary was crossed that's part of the learning exactly yeah yeah and in one instance it does take it's more oh. than one instance to like figure it out so it takes kind of. people some time to show you who they are true true yeah okay let's move on to question number three 
good? Let's do it. Okay. It says, hi, Katie. Do you think it's possible for our struggles, for example, anxiety, depression, lack of self-worth, to ever go away completely? Mm. I feel like there are some things, my anxiety, for example, that I've been working on for years, and I wonder if I'll always have to work as hard to keep it in check. I love this question. I get this one a lot. Yeah, with everything. Yeah. Uh, eating disorder, recovery, self-injury, addiction, trauma. Am I going to feel like this forever? Because I think when we're in it, uh, especially this person's talking about anxiety, but especially for depression, mm-hmm. when you're in it, it takes away all hope, all future planning, all anything. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes it can feel like there's no, like we're just like looking around the dark and there's like no way out, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it can feel like I'm stuck like this forever. But, yeah, and it's like who I am. Yes. And it's, like that, mm-hmm. that uh, like, not personification, but like taking that on as an identity, identity. Mm-hmm. I think is one part, like it's, it's very dangerous, but it's also very common. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, right. I am my depression versus yes. I feel depressed. Uh, totally. I am my anxiety. Yeah. I think that's why we always talk about like externalization, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to eating disorders, like giving it a name, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. can it even just be a name like Dickwad. It doesn't have to be a real name. <laughs> Could be anything. Larry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steve. Mm-hmm. Steve's a turd. Just yeah. kidding. <laughs> um, but the way I like to describe like recovery because I feel like that's kind of what we're talking about here is just our mental health is just like our physical health. And if I caught the flu, let's say, or strep throat, because I had that a ton as a kid before mm-hmm. my tonsils were removed. Thank God. Um, <laughs> them cure, like, quote unquote, curing, technically my strep throat, I had no symptoms anymore, but it could come back if I didn't sleep well or didn't mm. drink enough water, didn't take care of myself. Right. My immune system gets depressed pun intended i guess (laughs) it runs down i get run down and i get sick and i think of these things like anxiety depression you know even trauma symptoms if again going back to uh think conversations i've had in the past with you guys about resilience like when our level of resilience starts to get slimmer and slimmer because maybe uh like i'm moving right so Mm -hmm. maybe you're not sleeping as well maybe you're not drinking enough water eating properly maybe i'm not doing my like act ahead or cope ahead skills like Mm. journaling or Mm. going for walks or connecting with people who make me feel good Mm. if i'm not doing all that stuff i can become more and more vulnerable Mm. to having other things come up and so going back to my strep throat analogy i could get to a point where i don't have any symptoms but if i don't take care of myself it comes back and i think the same is with mental health Mm. like you can treat your anxiety and i don't think you'll have to work as hard to keep it in check Mm. it'll get easier more maintenance but you're still gonna have to do some things i agree i I, I I I cannot tell you how often I get this question. Mm-hmm. So I think it's solid in that sense. Like, I think it's a vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And like any vulnerability, it will express itself when you're vulnerable. And there's something about that that can be like wreak havoc on you in the sense of like, okay, so this is something I'm going to be working with. I The way I think about it is like square footage and brain, like, when you're in your symptom, it's at the front of your brain and it's taking up a lot of square footage. And then as you recover, it's kind of lives somewhere back here. It doesn't take up as much space. Life takes up more space. Mm. And maybe there's like echoes of it. That's kind of how I understand some of these, you know, diagnoses or just expressions of parts of us is that they can be whispers 
or they can be like the loudest voice in the room. Mm, yes. So I can speak to my own personal journey. I think when I'm in a good spot, those things are whispers and I don't believe what they say. You know, they're like, oh, there he, there she is, Ed, whatever uh-huh. I want to call it, right? Yep. There she is again. And then she recedes, you know? Yep. But at those times of stressful life, times where the support, knowing like, okay, this is going to be the expression of my distress, it might come through in that way. Yeah, no, I love that. One of my friends, Lindsay Sterling, who is also a YouTube creator, and she's been on the channel, she describes her eating disorder voice like um, it puts on a different dress and a wig, Mm. and it tries to come back. And she's like, at first you think, oh, you're somebody different. She's like, I know who you are. (laughs) You know, gets up close, and you're like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) she she can take on many forms. Yeah, sneaky and sly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I think it does that sometimes because I know that I'm I'm pretty good with having boundaries and saying no when I need to now than more than I used to be. But in our times of stress and duress, mm-hmm. I will make flippant decisions and double book mm-hmm. and then I'll be like, why right. am I doing this? Like you you can do these old behaviors out of habit. Mm. And not right. because, and then also I want you to know that doesn't mean you're back at square one. No. You that, still have your tools and things. Wait, I think that actually is what's so distressing when there's a recurrence or there's, you know, maybe a flare in, in a certain symptom is it feels like I'm not making progress. Mm-hmm. When I think I can think about this, like this last year in the pandemic, most people in my life were in their most primitive earliest survival styles, which can look like depression, look like anxiety. It, it's like, you know, of course, we're going to retreat to our earliest things. And we could look at it in a number of ways. I like to think about it when the symptoms resurface, it's another opportunity for deeper states of recovery. It's like, okay, all the, you know, stuff is out of the closet. Again, we get to go work it and clean it up. And I mean, I think it can be incredibly frustrating if you if there was a belief that I actually am exactly where I was before, because we bring every time symptoms resurface a new perspective, a new way to work, different people around us. And I feel like it's just a call for deeper recovery. Yeah, totally. One hundred percent. So yeah, I th- I think just to finally answer your question <laughs> in very succinct, I do this all the time. Don't worry. It's not just you. It's me. Because <laughs> we could talk for hours. We could. <laughs> we easily could. Okay. So go away completely. Uh, yes. However, if we don't take care of ourselves, the whispers can turn back into shouts. Um, and it can be, you know, again, like to Alexa's point, it can take up more space. Like we can get it to where it feels like it's just this little dot and we're like kind of aware of it. So it's kind of there, but not really. And mm-hmm. then... You know, but if we don't take care of ourselves, it can come back. And then you said, like, I wonder if I'll always have to work as hard to keep it in check. No, you will not. I feel like it's like the first time you go to Pilates and you're <laughs> like, I didn't realize I had these muscles. Mm. This is so hard. And you're in that stage where you're mm. me shaking on one of those tra- the transformer <laughs> thing. Where you're like, oh, my God, you know, I can't even do this. But then if you if I had gone every day for months, mm. those muscles are built up. And so your mm. muscles of knowing how to manage the anxiety will be built up. You'll have tools mm. at the ready that are like almost instinctual mm-hmm. and it'll it's be much skill. more laborious. Some skill. Yeah. I remember when I started meditating, the frustration and the exhaustion of having to sit and focus on my breath. Mm-hmm. It just felt like this was never, this was an unteachable like skill for me to learn (laughs) yeah it's just not for me it's just (laughs) that's basically what i came to and then the discovery well a that 
you sit long enough and your mind does quiet down and you actually can sit still. I think of anxiety a little bit like that too, in the sense of like skillfully being able to sit and know how to sit still in the face of that anxiety and having a way to feel less encumbered by mm-hmm. all of those voices. Or so, less reactive. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Good. Good, Good. stuff. Okay. Let's move on to question number four. Okay. It says, I am trying to work on recalling events surrounding a traumatic situation mm-hmm. to be able to make a statement to the police and assist with other cases that may be linked to my situation. There are pivotal parts that I can't recall at which is so frustrating. I get it. So to help, I tried watching triggering material. Oh, no. Tra- watching triggering materials like documentaries, crime shows along the same topic to help spark recall or to at least give me scenarios to consider. It actually helped in a few different ways, despite it making me feel so unsafe, that's what I was worried about, so raw emotionally and wanting to disappear. From a therapist's point of view, am I doing more harm than good? Do you have any ideas that I could try to help recall, oh, that I could do to try to help recall the truth of the trauma when it's necessary for police work? There is a part of me that doesn't care that I'm re-traumatizing myself because of of lack of self-worth. How do I find a good balance in all of that? Okay, this is a great question. And first of all, I just want to say our legal system sucks. And why? I mean, I've heard from so many of you and I've dealt with a few patients over the years having to do, it's like you have to brief everybody and then Mm. you have to say it again and again and again and again. Like, it's like they didn't have any therapeutic touch involved in any of the process. Or training. At all. It's it's so re-traumatizing. So, okay, Mm. so what do you think? I have a lot to say. Yeah, I know. I'm excited about it. What do you so um, first, I just want to say I'm so sorry that that y- you had to go through the first experience, but then kind of go through the the police proceeding aspect of it. It's like the first number one no no actually in any trauma therapy is you don't tell the whole story and you don't keep telling the whole story because every time you tell the story, go through the story, your nervous system goes through it again and again and again, and it's not necessarily seeking resolution when it goes through it again. Because there's no resources or no soothing or no calming, right? Right, or support or place in which or vehicle in which to actually reprocess it. Yeah, a therapeutic vehicle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're kind of just going through it alone Mm -hmm. again. So um, yeah, I would say um, as much as it feels like you really wanna help the police and move the case, going forward, I hear that really wanting to be of service and make it maybe meaningful in that way, what you went through that, I don't know if that's true, but that's what it felt like when you, when you, when I read it. But what I might say is I actually feel like working with the therapist, not necessarily to get the memories back. Sometimes they don't come back. And that's just the reality of the way we consolidate memory. We're just not perfect recorders. And that's very off, they're very typical. And often when parts of memories do come back, they're not always accurate. They're part of, I'm not saying we don't believe our memories, it's just part of our experience and processing. So I would pause on that mm-hmm. and trying to get to the memory, which you might not like that response. No, it's and fair work with the trained re- and, and work with a trained professional so that you can actually address the traumatic experience. Yeah, and feel better. Yeah, feel better. Yeah, because, mm-hmm. and I mean, I, I agree with everything you said, because I think the what you're doing like so you're at the question am i doing more harm than good and i mean it's hard to say like are you doing more harm than good necessarily but i would say yes for you like again i know the good that you think you're doing is to help the police 
and I understand like I want every dirt bag locked up too and I like to spit <laughs> on them personally so <laughs> I understand like the want to yeah. to do but again it's justice yeah mm-hmm. everybody wants justice yeah. right something was done to me that was harmful and I wish I could remember so we could get that that dickwad off the street yeah because who knows if they'll do it to someone else but I also want you to know that's not your responsibility something happened to you that was out of your control and you have the potential to assist if you can but because those memories aren't here right now i feel like in a way it's almost like we're fighting against ourselves it's like we're pushing too hard to try to recall and it might be dig- pushing it deeper if it exists mm. at all if it because exists, yeah sometimes it's like um when we want something so bad it makes it harder to get do you mm-hmm. know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like um the best way i can describe it is like something fell into a ball pit and as you reach to get it, it falls mm. below deeper and mm. deeper. And then you reach again and it oh, falls like to that. the lower level. And before you know it, you're completely in the ball pit mm-hmm. trying to push them away. And they only fall more mm. where, you know, it's like it's an effort and futility. You yeah. can't really dig it out that right, way. Right, right. You're not actually helping re- recall the memory and or support your nervous system. Yeah, yeah, because as you do this forceful recall attempt, which I understand, um, but it, it's again like to Alexa's point, it's your nervous system is heightened again, and we're like re-traumatized again. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not the only way to attempt healthfully to recall this would be to try to work with a professional so that you could find a way to soothe your system and help you feel safe enough and held enough mm-hmm. to just start yeah talking about it a little bit. And in that case, sometimes those missing pieces do come back, mm-hmm. but not through efforting. It really comes back as a part of your healing. Yeah. And I think that's, and I know that sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah, it really totally does. sucks. Um, and again, I wish police, like, I understand the need for statements because otherwise people could just go around claiming anybody did anything. Um, but again, that's something you have the possibility to do, usually for many years, mm. if you decide that that's what's best for you. Mm-hmm. We'd all like to get the dirt bags off the street, but that's not your responsibility. Mm. I would encourage you every time that thought comes in your head, we're like, well, I should. Mm. I want you to shut it down and say, Katie said, stop, stop shooting on yourself. Mm. You're shooting all over it. And you don't have to do, mm. you shouldn't do anything. What you actually need to do is to help yourself and get some support. Mm-hmm. I'm finding an actual trained professional who understands trauma, not someone who just says that they do. So that someone does it properly and doesn't push you too hard, too fast. Um, you know, and, and kind of helps you soothe a little. Like, I bet you could probably benefit from a nice full body shake today. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I just want to make sure we answered all of your questions. So am I doing more harm than good? I think so. Uh, do you have ideas that could try to help recall the truth? Working with someone slowly, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, yeah, there's no shortcut. There's no I shortcut. I wish there was. If we would, we'd, if there was, we would tell you exactly how to get there. <laughs> Um, but there's just like this, you know, one highway and it's a windy one. And I'm sorry. Um, there's part of me that doesn't care that I'm re-traumatizing myself mm. because of lack of self-worth. Mm. Unfortunately, trauma can do that to us yeah. too. I think trauma, we could interchange trauma and shame because mm-hmm. when we're traumatized, it elicits shame states. Mm-hmm. You know, on some level, we feel that we were unworthy or somehow deserving of what happened to us. That's very Something's common. wrong with us to cause it. Right. Yeah. Or I did, yeah, I did something or uh, I'm getting punished. So then we kind of want to continue to punish ourselves. So I just want to, I think, speak to that, that, you know, I was like, okay, that's a side effect of trauma. And we can go with that side effect of trauma and continue to punish ourselves 
becoming further traumatized or decide to take contrary action. Contrary action, even though you don't feel like it, contrary action is action toward your own self-care. And so I think about that. I was like, even if it doesn't go along with your belief, it's actually okay. Yeah, and and that's, I mean, we do that in DBT all the time, opposite action, Mm -hmm. where when we wanna push people away and we want to react, maybe instead we reach out to a support and we do something soothing. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't feel good the first, when you first start, and it's really hard, like it's a it's a power of the wills. Um, but I think even in doing the contrary action or opposite action, you realize just how mentally strong you are and how capable you are of actually just deciding mm-hmm. what you want. And um, yeah, again, I, I just getting in to see a professional will mm-hmm. just be key because in the final part says, how do you find good balance and all of that? You don't. And you're not expected to. I think it's uh, finding supports to help us remember what balance feels mm-hmm. like, you know? Right. I, this doesn't sound like a job to be done on your own. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no shame in that. I think it. we all need support. Like, I need support all the time anyway. Mm-hmm. But especially when we have something traumatic happen, we need even more. And that's that's just part of the human condition. Yeah, we were just built that way. Yeah, we need that connection. We do. We really do. It's soothing to our system. It is. As you just can't change our hardwiring. No. And it's, yeah, it is just the way that it is, unfortunately. But there are good people out there. So find someone that really gets you. um, And we'll start there. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's move on to question number five. And that question says, hi, Katie, I keep downplaying my symptoms (gasps) or even contemplating canceling my therapy sessions sometimes. You wouldn't. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm not quite sure why I'm doing this. It's very common. Often this happens in moments when I'm actually quite depressed and overwhelmed and therefore would really benefit from therapy. Very normal. I'm having suicidal thoughts in one moment and then downplaying it in in the next because obviously Mm. everything is fine. How Mm. can I keep perspective and take my feelings seriously? You start with this (laughs) one. (laughs) This is so common. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of it has to do with... Uh, and not to say that this is all like in our upbringing, but a lot of it has to do with the way that we were spoken to about our emotions. So it's too often, and hopefully this doesn't happen as much anymore, but too often we're told as kids, like brush it off, step up, stop crying. Boys don't cry, you know, um, get up, do this. You're overreacting, you mm-hmm. know, um, get in the car and shut up. Like parents say things to kids like mm-hmm. that. They get frustrated. I understand. I don't have kids. I don't know the sleep deprivation <laughs> personally, but messages like that that are received repeatedly over time i believe tell us deep down that we can't trust how we feel or that we're not uh i don't know what the word i'm looking for it's kind of like we're not worthy of support Mm. in some way and so we can find ourselves in adulthood putting other people first it's a people pleasing thing kind of but putting up other people first um never asking for help downplaying what's really upsetting to us and invalid we're almost like re-injuring ourselves Mm. with the same thing that injured us to begin with Mm. and i think it's very common for a lot of us because you know people always say parents did the best they could and i like always like to say parents did the best they could with what they knew and they might not have known anything so we just do what we can with what we got and unfortunately that leaves these kinds of ripple effects i think um so there's that component. And then my second thought is, because I these are just hypotheses. Like if you, it's a funny thing, because if you're a therapist in session, you'd like go down a little road to see if there's anything right. there. Like, <laughs> we usually don't throw out a theory. No, but we, we just 
ask for a an inquiry mm-hmm. <laughs> and see if there's any meat on the bone there. Right? Like, did they really? <laughs> you did, don't want to nibble too early. No, just just let it. And yeah. then the other thought would be, and I, this would be happening either way, but I'd really do some thought tracking. Mm. I think that's really helpful to try to see and understand what your invalidating personal comments are because i think Mm. in your head a lot you're telling yourself like suck it up buttercup you're fine this Mm. isn't that big of a deal or something and i'd like to know what those messages are and then we could track where they came from Mm. yeah i i mean you hit so many points here but you know if we think about that as uh an emotional survival style the minimizing, and maybe it was your parents' survival emotional style too. They minimized how they dealt with things. That's maybe they didn't have other forms of coping. So they, this would be my hypothesis, maybe minimized yours. So if you're not minimizing, then maybe you don't have the felt experience of what it's like to sit in distress with another human being. That that might feel really overwhelming because it was new or different. You never had that. And so maybe there isn't that we call affect tolerance and emotional tolerance yet. So when you have real big states, the bigger the state is, maybe the bigger the need to do that to manage it and control it. And mm-hmm. that way it's very similar to what Katie said. And I, this is the beautiful thing about therapy is even if you can't express how you feel, you might express that observation. Like I notice I do this thing. Because once it's named between you and the therapist, it's something that you guys get attracted together. And that's the great thing. Maybe you don't want to say how you're really feeling, but you can say, here's what I'm doing with what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that process kind of observation gives the therapist an idea of, oh, that's a whole that's a whole good point that like a place to connect and get some support around. And, you know, I guess by doing that though, you are willing to sit in the fire a little bit more with the person. Mm -hmm. And um, because you wrote the question makes me think you are willing to, Uh and you want to, because you do want more recovery, you want to feel better. Um, And if you say that to a therapist, they will have heard that before. It's not gonna upset or startle them. You've done nothing wrong. They have done nothing. This This is really, this is really normal stuff. Yeah. And also, I think it will give some context if you do try to cancel therapy in the future, oh, because so I've had so many patients do that. Where they're like, they'll show us, start showing up a little bit late, or uh, it's just part of the resistance slash defense mechanisms that are there for a reason. And the funny thing about therapy is that even if you think what you're doing is quote unquote bad, it's actually really helpful for us to know about it and to see it because that tells us something, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I'm getting this kind of reaction from you what are we talking about what's happening what's Mm -hmm. triggering it if i can Mm -hmm. you know it it makes me more curious about it and then we can hopefully together come to some kind of answer or partial answer so i feel like (laughs) we're in the subject now of transference Uh and countertransference so what what is displayed and what is like the meat of therapy not all therapies but a lot of therapies is that you're doing this behavior right you're kind of minimizing i was like so you're playing out with the therapist what you do Mm -hmm. inside of yourself right Mm -hmm. and maybe what you do outside of the room or maybe what was done to you all of that is like the juiciest (laughs) material in therapy it's Mm -hmm. the stuff that's not talked about but felt or experienced between you and the therapist or you inside of yourself that's actually means you're probably moving into a different stage of therapy 
you're not in the beginning stage anymore because all that stuff comes out when you actually get comfortable with a person. Mm -hmm. Because then you start acting out of old patterns usually. Mm -hmm. So we're saying, prof, (laughs) this is good news. And um, it's really, it is really like that's 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 the work of your therapy right now. Totally. And I think that's the the cool thing about therapy because some people will be like, but I'm not even talking about the stuff that I came in for. And I'm like, you are though. <laughs> it's just it's complicated, right? Because some the things that come up are just as important as the quote unquote reason that we came in, right? You know, yeah. Sometimes um, I had a a mentor say to me, you know, you can like listen to the song, but you really need to be able to hear the music and like mm-hmm. not you can't just listen to the words. You have to hear all of it. And sometimes people come in, they really want to tell you the story. Mm-hmm let's just get to just the lyrics (laughs) just the lyrics you have to be able to hear the music underneath so i think you're in the music underneath Mm -hmm. the lyric and um yeah i think the other thing is it's it's probably safe to assume i know it's true but most of what's revealed inside of a person most therapists have heard before yeah it's true There's not much, I don't want to say, like, there's not much I haven't heard. I'm not saying it like that. Mm -hmm. I'm saying humans are not that different in the sense of what's deep inside is pretty universal. Mm -hmm. And our adaptive abilities are pretty much the same. There's, Mm -hmm. like, certain ways that it could go. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm sure, you know, as soon as you say, like, it's been a long time since I've ever been shocked by anything, that something will come that's shocking. But people aren't that shocking. It's, it's really just not, I don't want to say like normal human behavior, but yeah, like mm-hmm. we just, we do the best we can with what we got. We're adaptive. Mm-hmm. We are uh, emotional creatures. We're also, we need community mm-hmm. and, uh, and sensitive. Yeah. And, <laughs> and all of us come out of it with our own unique flavors of things, but they, they follow these patterns. Mm. And I feel like the, the act of being a therapist is really just like a pattern finder. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's all. That's true. It's so true. Well, and I'm always looking, for, even pattern. in my real life, that's one thing I can't quite turn off is patterns. Yeah. Which is why sometimes I'll tell like friends of friends prior to like me not being friends with someone, I'll be like, I don't think it's going to work because, you know, <laughs> they've been doing this and it's just, and they're like, oh yeah, I forgot they did mm-hmm. that back then. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, they did that and then this and, mm-hmm. and it all looks the same. And like, mm-hmm. I don't, I can't handle it anymore. Right, you know? right. It's like a chessboard. Mm-hmm. You kind of know. I mean, you have to be open to unexpected, but yeah, I guess there's that. And this pattern, this one, this this is a great pattern to notice. Yeah, it really is. And to just honestly, if you feel free, if you feel able to, let your therapist know you're doing this. Say, I've noticed this thing where I just contemplate canceling therapy, and I I know I'm saying I'm not as feeling as bad as I am. I don't know why I'm doing this. And if you have to read it off of paper that you wrote and just get it out, like blah, 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 blah like no emotion, like it's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm, I um, love that. Just to put it into the room because I think that then then the work can begin on it. Can I say one more thing of about it? If you went in, let's just suppose for a second that you went in and you didn't minimize it. Can you imagine standing in the truth of how bad you feel with a real witness that can see it? There's something about it being confirmed observed Mm -hmm. validated that makes it real and so i think there might be a part of you that's afraid of that too like we kind of deny sometimes our suffering because it's overwhelming right Mm -hmm. so to have somebody 
see it and then you see their face you see them see it just it makes it's like okay this is really happening yeah and that's that's the first step (laughs) is acknowledging that something's really happening so i just further encourage you in that direction yeah no that's great and that is true that's why i've always told you guys to write things down just read it off because sometimes we get caught up saying the words aloud Mm. like oh if i put this out there it's real Mm-hmm. And then if I say this word, like even calling it what it it's called can be overwhelming, especially for trauma. Like if if you've you know been assaulted, calling it an assault or using the R word, if we've been sexually assaulted, like those things can be very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so even my eating disorder patients, calling it an eating disorder can be uh, overwhelming and difficult. And and you know that admitting mm-hmm. it's real. Mm-hmm. Um, and even personally, I'd say in my own therapy too, like. Like to your point, like be, saying it out loud to someone else who hears you and is present and holds it can be healing and wonderful, but it's part of the reason why I cry almost every session because it's so overwhelming to mm. share it that way, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um. So yeah, just as healing it is. So don't think that it doesn't feel overwhelming and you, sh- you know, it'll be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. <laughs> it'll be tricky, but very, very helpful. And in the end, super healing. I agree. Okay, let's move on to question number six. Okay. And that asks, why are a lot of therapists unwilling to work with autistic clients, even if they're not coming to therapy for their autism? And someone left a comment question below that said, follow-up question if possible. Are there common challenges for people with autism when in mental health recovery? Mm. Now, my initial knee-jerk reaction was, I don't think all therapists, I mean, they said they're saying a lot. I think a lot of times when it comes to certain specializations, like uh, even eating disorders, I have a lot of other colleagues of mine who are like, oh, I just don't treat them. So I refer them out right away. I've told you guys over the years, I don't treat addiction. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of patients who've been in recovery, but I, I'm not, an, I don't specialize in that. And I really feel the most benefit for a patient comes with that specialization touch. And I think autism might fall into that too. I think autistic people might be referred because they'd want you to see someone who understands it in and out. What mm-hmm. do you think? I totally agree. Yeah. Because I think the interventions are very specific to what a person with autism might be struggling with. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily fall into like um, how I might treat depression and anxiety, although somebody with autism might have suffer from depression and anxiety. I think the mode of intervention might be different. Um, And so, yeah, I, I think... Also, just again, talking about scope of practice, um, most clinicians ethically are bound to practice within an area that they feel proficient in. Yeah, and we can get in trouble if we go outside of that. And so, and that's a good point. Um, And I think that a lot of times, and I've talked about this in the past, like therapists will do what we call like CYA, Mm -hmm. where they like cover their ass, or cover your ass is what it stands for, Um, because people can file complaints and they're ethical and legal you know, boundaries that we have to live within when it comes to our work. And so as part of the reason why I don't treat addiction is because I, it is such a specialized thing and it can come with like detox and it can be very complicated. And um, I don't feel like able <laughs> to do like it's out of my scope yeah it's irresponsible yeah and it's it's kind of like we've talked about in the videos we did together on my main channel is like you don't want to pull someone into the deep end if, if you know they can't swim back to the right. shallow and i feel like when it comes to working with specific uh patients you want to make sure 
that you know how to gauge that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and with autistic people, I think there, in many ways, there's simple things that we could do, simple interventions that we could utilize for anxiety or depression or something like that. But by and large, I do find it to be the most helpful to see someone who, again, knows mm-hmm. the ins and outs, understands the the difficulties mm-hmm. because things can be different, mm-hmm. right. right? Different ways to process information mm-hmm. or process emotional information or behavioral interventions mm-hmm. that um, even if as a, a trained clinician, I could do reading and training, I don't think it takes the place of that specialty. I don't think so either. And I could even think of things that might be missed like misunderstood mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. stemming is a huge mm-hmm. thing in the autistic community so th- if you guys don't know what stemming is it could be like something that i would do like i could i could be rocking i could be moving my hands it's something i do to calm myself down mm-hmm. essentially it's a behavior and i know um i did a video a few weeks ago or a month ago where i talked about like misunderstandings with autism and one of those is like the aba therapy people find it very harmful i talked about why that is but that's the only thing that we're actually taught in school and in training um but they would have them like sit on their hands if they were to fidget and mm. people find that very hurtful. But a therapist who's not trained mm. might look at a stemming behavior and might think, oh, they're anxious. Mm. Do you know what I mean? We might misinterpret mm-hmm. what's going on because we don't really know. Mm. And again, I, I feel like in therapy is the one place, hopefully there's more than the one place, but at least that one place where we can feel heard and understood. And I think it, I, I would, personally be worried that i would misunderstand or or do more harm than i intend you know i think also given that autism right is on a spectrum there might be things if we're just expanding for a second like Mm -hmm. grief that's pretty universal or if it's like uh if it if if the person wasn't coming in for specifically for challenges around around the autism but Uh i guess it is pretty pervasive i would imagine the challenges so there might be a few like cases in which um it might be appropriate yeah and i could see that too like i said very specific uh interventions yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. but but again i think that's probably what you're coming into just to like have a conversation about it because um i even know for my patients with bpd they you know Mm -hmm. people refer them out right away or right there's a lot of different things trauma yeah but if i think about it like if you're going to you know, if you, you know, have a, a throat condition, you're going to an ear, nose, and throat doctor. Mm-hmm. You really want to see that specialist. You don't want to see a generalist. And, yeah. you know, if I think about optimal care and you getting to the goals of your treatment, I think with respect to a lot of mental health diagnosis, diagnoses, I think it's really wise to go to somebody who's seen it, done it, has that training. Yeah, because they'll, they'll be able to draw your attention to things yeah. that another practitioner might overlook. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Okay, we have two more questions. Okay. Question number seven it says, hi, Katie, how does one handle being triggered by their own therapist? I have PTSD and have been very open with my therapist about the trauma that occurred last year and my struggles with it. As a whole, I absolutely love working with her and have felt very safe in discussing my experiences with her. However, at the end of my last session, we were doing some good natured bantering back and forth, probably just to wind down the session. And as we were winding down, I um, I forgot exactly what I'd said to her, but she made a finger guns and pretended to fire them. And I know this was completely unintentional, but it sent me reeling into my PTSD brain, Mm. which included images of suicidal ideation. And as she knows that guns are a trigger for me, it happened so fast that my brain didn't have the chance to process it. And I found myself almost yelling at her, don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. Mm. I I was immediately in hardcore tears, feeling Mm. betrayed, which I don't think I felt before. 
lots of anger at her, along with suicidal ideations in my head that I did not want. She did immediately recognize that she did something very wrong and apologized, told me that um, that she will do what she can to not let this happen again, include looking into her professional development opportunities around the subject. Oh. And let me be very angry at her, which is good. However, now I feel like a bit of a wall is up to protect myself from being further hurt. And yet I know I don't want her to feel um, like she has to keep her guard up with me because of the situation. And um, what other words of wisdom do you have about healing from this? Mm. I'll let you take this one first. So it's so interesting when you first started the question and you said you got triggered by the therapist. I did a dance, which I was like, oh God, I literally was like, that that idea of like first i would normalize it that the therapist yeah she had a thoughtless moment with the gesturing but i'd say this is typical mm-hmm. <laughs> and comes in the territory of trauma um that it's i don't want to say it's more grist for the mill because it does impact the relationship and there is a repair and but I, what I will say is I, I have yet to do deep trauma work with people and there wasn't something in the room that happened. Maybe it wasn't by me, but in the room that has happened and has been a part of our trauma work. The reason why I think it's extra special in a hard way is the beauty of working through the repair with somebody. If And she seems like a skilled therapist is going to do some additional professional development can be the most profound experience a person has, Mm -hmm. which is therapist took responsibility for it. She's gonna do her own work, clean up her side of the street. She's gonna come back and maybe make that adjustment and tune in in a different way. She might be misattuned another time and make another error, that's a possibility. But her cleanup and her skills in cleaning up, um, which therapists train a lot in how to do skillfully that that sometimes actually we can do i can do a huge long course of treatment with somebody and that will be the thing they remember oh of course of right? course the repair yeah. yeah but i do think and to your point that repair work is is super healing and something that we're going to have to do in life so it's a great place to practice because like i've talked about over and over again um you know and i'm not i'm not saying that your therapist wasn't wrong here because she was but but as a person who has triggers and we can all be triggered i'm responsible for my own triggers and learning how to manage them obviously you were in therapy which is that safe space where you kind of let your guard down more and you allow more of that interaction maybe to be more vulnerable than you would be out into the world and so that was why it was such a deeper wound but again being able to recognize the hurt recognize that this wall went up communicating about that i Mm -hmm. feel like i put this wall up to protect myself and i understand you know you're doing your best i don't want you to apologize for putting this wall up by the way it's part of just this natural response or reaction Mm -hmm. from a wound and then the cool again the cool thing about therapy is that we get to actually work through the repair and we don't just avoid, mm-hmm. which tends to be what those of us with PTSD do is we just avoid. Mm-hmm. We avoid any situation, like I've talked about before, we avoid any situation that's triggering and our world slowly gets smaller mm-hmm. until we do the work to push it back out. And so I really want you to, to stick with this. I really want you to express that this wall went up. You don't have to know why, you don't have to give it a bunch of descriptive terms. It's more just like, I just don't feel as open or however it feels to you, you know, letting her know um, if you feel like she did a good job with it, you can say, I, I really appreciate the stuff you've done, you know, um, 
you don't have to, but I think just acknowledgement of that pain and that hurt and the ripple effects it's caused is really key. And then how do we move forward? Yeah, I think that how do we move forward? What do you need to feel safe with her again? Yeah. Do you need um, to, I mean, do you need different kinds of boundaries or um, cue signals or hand signals when, you know, you feel like you were triggered? Like what are, you know, for her to stop? I think there's a lot of opportunity and work you can do to create more safety with her. Um, the inclination or impulse might be like, okay, it's not going to work. I'm going to cut off. Yeah. You know, because that avoidance that Katie was talking about. And I think actually, if there's enough evidence that, that you've done quite a bit of good work together, this is actually one of those opportunities to lean in and discover what you need now. Where do we go from here? Yeah, exactly. And I think it might be a good learning for both of you because I, I think a lot of times we don't know what we need. Mm -hmm. And so having that conversation and being curious before the conversation with maybe what thinking about what we need. Um, mm. It might be some time. It might be some some tricky conversations about what came up and why and, you know, all of that. And I told you and I feel betrayed. And that's an interesting emotion for me because I haven't felt it before mm. uh, or that I recall, right? So that was new to you. Um, yeah, uh, digging into that a little bit, I think will be really healing and, and talking it through. And as someone who doesn't like to be angry, it's really healing to actually be angry. Mm. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah, to be angry with someone and know that that doesn't mean the relationship is over. It just means I was angry with you because you did something that was hurtful. Mm. And then then on the flip side, so then is moving forward in the healing process. My hypothesis would be that part of like your side of the street is going to be not allowing yourself to continually relive that over and over and wound yourself with it over and over again, because we can do that in our heads sometimes when something painful happens mm. or um, you know, we can even do it with things that we've done that we wish we didn't do, right? We replay it over and over and like wound ourselves. Mm. And this was such a wounding moment. I would encourage you instead of replaying it back over and over to, to tap into instead how you felt and what feelings came after and what's happening now in, in the way that you feel. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I really, it, it almost keeps the, the 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 work moving mm -hmm. instead of just be stuck in the trigger yeah what yeah like what happened next and you get to really explore that and that maybe you've never done that before i know it's like building a whole new map right it is um on uncharted yes. territory it is <laughs> i think it then makes getting triggered less scary when you're like okay i'm triggered now everything's wrong and bad and there's this weird thing and i have to avoid it and it's like it kind of creates a different map of like okay, well, we all get triggered and there's mm -hmm. life after that and relationship after that. And and you're going to get some tools about how to do that. Yeah, agreed. And we might be surprised, to be honest, we might be surprised that after doing this work, we might get triggered less. Mm. Because sometimes I think it's the fear of the upset that can make the reaction that much more intense. Mm -hmm. And now that we know I lived through it, nothing bad happened. Well, I felt bad for a period of time, mm. but the relationship wasn't broken. I'm not broken. It was just difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes that in and of itself can be, I don't know, it can make it less mm -hmm. in the future. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's this one other thing that I, I have to now say, because it didn't come up first for me, mm -hmm. is it, often when I'm working with somebody in a traumatic event, um, I can un 
without awareness become the perpetrator in the room mm-hmm. because I'm sitting too close or I all of a sudden represent the threat and that's not uncommon. So I just wanna say, I think probably an unconscious move she made, but that she became the, the maybe the perpetrator, the mm-hmm. aggressor, and you get to say, no, I don't like it. Maybe that was also something that you didn't get to do and you didn't get to fight back and be mad because when you said the mad i always get <laughs> i get it's like that's good mad's yeah. good mm-hmm. so it's they're protective you it's, get to come in burr, 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 i didn't and like save that. the day a little bit yeah. yeah who did you not get to say that to mm-hmm. so i just it's health i just want to remind you it's your health of your system that is very healthy response and lean in on the fact that your therapist has that health too to receive what you have that feels unfinished here yeah agreed agreed i love that okay Okay, final question are you ready i am so ready okay (laughs) says is it possible to feel triggered from a past sexual assault after having a baby i was sexually assaulted when i was 20 in my home i wasn't ready for therapy after the assault so i stopped showing up and i couldn't find it in me to open up to my partner at the time about the pain that i was feeling Everyone always showed sympathy for her as if she was the one who went through the trauma. (gasps) It caused me to pretend I was okay and I never talked about it again. I recently moved to Washington State, ooh, Pacific Northwesterner, (laughs) and I had a baby in February. I have developed postpartum depression, but I feel as if my postpartum depression is stemming from my trauma. I'm seeing a therapist, but I've had so much trauma in many different forms that I can't seem to focus on what thing to talk about. And our sessions are all over the place. I'm very comfortable with her and ready to deal with my past trauma, but I also have a tendency to attach myself to older women as a result of having an unavailable unavailable and unemotional mom. She mentioned last week that she's leaving the office that she's at to do inpatient or something like that and can't take me with her. That happens. I nodded as if it's fine with me, but now I'm scared I won't find someone that I'm comfortable with to open up to again. Is it okay to be picky with the therapist I see? Of course it is. (laughs) Should I tell my therapist about not knowing how to handle the fact that she's leaving? Yes. How can I focus on topics I want to tackle if there's so much I want to get off of my chest? So there's a lot in this question. Yeah. So first, is it possible to feel triggered from a past sexual assault after having a baby? Do you think her postpartum could be due to that? I think it might be too reductionistic to say yes and only that, but I do think it's pretty common during uh, delivery for that to come up. And just there's a lot of overwhelming physical sensations during um, labor and during pregnancy, absolutely, that can stir up lots of physical memories and sensations. Uh, yeah, one hundred percent. And I think also we do know through research that people who have had depression or anxiety or something in their past, like other mental health struggles, are more apt to have postpartum depression. I think it's like is it twenty eight percent more likely or something like that. Sounds I, about right. I'm pulling it out of like I haven't read that article in a long time. Yeah, but I think that that could be. Because like I've talked about before, we can have a propensity for something or we could have mm. ha- we could have PTSD, but sometimes in order to have symptoms come up, we need a precipitating event mm. and having a baby could have been that precipitating event. A thousand percent. Um, so there's that component. And then to get into the questions toward the end, is it okay to be picky with the therapist that I see? It's like my favorite question. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I mean, 100%. <laughs> I, I think I've said it probably every time we've ever talked in any video that the number one 
variable that's predictive of a positive outcome of therapy is the relationship of between the patient and therapist modality therapeutic mm-hmm. therapeutic style orientation aside so yes it's like dating it's really important yeah. yeah and if you don't like some if you don't connect if if something although again if it's like going back to the previous question or like the question before if a therapist does something that is that is upsetting it is important to attempt to work through it as best as you can if they're willing to clean their side of the street there's nothing worse than a therapist that can't admit that they've done something wrong and invalidates and almost harms again but it is important for us to at least communicate stand up for ourselves advocate for ourselves um but aside from that, like we should try to work through those things. But if we just don't get a good vibe, like I saw this guy for a while, it never worked. I saw him like three, four sessions and was like, no. First of all, he was he was like around my age, Mm-mm, too close. <laughs> Second of all, he's a dude. I prefer females, mm-hmm. no judgments. Third, he just, I, I maybe it was my own thing, but I felt like I wanted him to be more directive and that just wasn't maybe his style. Mm-hmm. So I just, I stopped seeing him and saw somebody else end up being perfect, mm-hmm. fine, wonderful. So yes, be very picky. It's very important, like to Alexa's point, all the research shows success in therapy stems from that relationship. What I usually tell people after the first session, first session, like, do you feel hope? Do you feel understood? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, even if you don't feel safe there yet, you know, could you imagine getting there with that person? And if you don't, I just, I feel like there's a certain, it's, it's more than just even chemistry, but a sense of like, kind of confidence mm-hmm. with them in their presence that um, not because they say all the right things, but that, that you feel there's a certain kind of sense of feeling like uh, they they can hold what I have to say mm-hmm. and I don't have to take care of them yeah. or, you know. It's so, like they have a large enough container for me to yeah. put all my shit in it. <laughs> yeah, and you might not even have the words for that, but mm-hmm. it, is a, it is a feeling and um, and take your time. Yeah, you know, and you can even have like a first, second, like Katie said, third, fourth session with somebody. I still think of all of that as an assessment. Mm-hmm. Agreed, because you're still just getting to know each other. It's only fifty minutes. You know what I mean? And yeah. unless you're doing ninety minute sessions, it's fifty minutes, and it takes a few hours to it get does. to know someone. <laughs> it does. And then, does. okay, uh, second question: Should I tell my therapist about not knowing how to handle the fact she's leaving me? One hundred percent please, please do. Attachment is so common in therapy. It's so, usually if we've had any traumas, it's, we haven't had anybody in our life that's actually shown compassion and nurturing and understanding for us. We've never felt that kind of support. So of course we find a person who does and we're like, don't ever leave me pretty please. This is wonderful. Mm -hmm. And we can become because they're helping us work through it, it can be really difficult for us to not do that. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's something that we should identify and we should talk about mm-hmm. because again, there are healthy boundaries within therapy. But please tell her, I think it's also aside from the attachment, everybody gets annoyed and upset when their therapist is leaving. Yeah. And it yeah. does suck. We often have those uh, written into the contracts that we can't take people with us. So one of the things that comes up for me when you say that, though, is I was like, oh, okay. So by sharing that, maybe also gets you into the territory of like more tender feelings because Mm -hmm. there's been an attachment. And it's one thing to be super pissed at your therapist leaving appropriate, fair, that might be there. But maybe by sharing that you're really messed up, you're sharing how much you felt cared for or you cared Mm -hmm. about her or the relationship or the work. And that 
as beautiful as that material is for for a lot of people, it's really hard to talk about. You were meaningful, or did I matter? All of that stuff yeah. that you know we want to talk about, but we don't want to talk about because those are feelings maybe that were never um, regarded as safe or yeah, okay. Okay. To feel. Mm. So um, it's. I, I, I mean, if <laughs> you've sat with me now in almost an hour, my feeling is is like lean into that because it, even though she's leaving, I think it's an opportunity learning something about those feelings and that experience and having somebody receive that. I, I agree. Yeah. And it's kind of, I think for those of us who don't feel safe or okay feeling certain things, like mm-hmm. I don't feel okay feeling anger. It's really difficult. Mm-hmm. It's actually very healing for me to have someone who can weather that mm-hmm. and like not cultivate it because I don't want it to be created, but almost like it's like I planted the seeds of anger and they're allowing them to grow a little to show me that they're not so dangerous after mm-hmm. all. Like I think they're going to be this huge poisonous tree and they turn out to be like clovers. Right. <laughs> Well, right, you know? right, right. Like there's a, a an emotional capacity where anger, let's say, is not off-putting. You know, it's like actually appreciated for what it really is or tender feelings are very much appreciated for what they are. And, you know, it's like wanting that therapist who's kind of unwet, like can be kind of unweathered. Mm-hmm. Is that the right word? Unweathered? It's kind of like undeterred. Deterred. Yeah, maybe. Like Deterred. Uh, not, yeah, not pushed off <laughs> Thank from you. the course. Like, and not, like, yes. Yeah, they don't undeterred. like avoid. Right. They go right in. Yes. Yeah, having like someone, a therapist that's courageous enough to like step into it with you. Yes. Yeah, yes. I agree. Okay, and then the last question. How can I focus on topics that I want to tackle if there's so much to get off of my chest? I think, again, this is kind of like at the root of what we've been talking about together today is like sometimes it's this topic of her leaving and you processing and, and giving space and holding all the all that comes up for you. It might be anger as well as those tender emotions, and those are all welcome and all okay that is the work and i think so often we look at this one goal of like oh i need to work through these traumas and i've had these traumas in my life and i need to process those but we'll get there in that process is part of this like attachment and identifying those emotions and rec- you know it's all in there Did, i feel mm. like she's already doing getting things off her chest by even acknowledging that she's upset what do you think yes i mean I hear that the biggest thing, the biggest thing is that, that this relationship is ending and that you it took a long time maybe to build that trust and to start over is overwhelming. And um, maybe part of what your question is for the next therapy, is there a way I can organize and focus the work? Um, so that, I don't know if it's, that's what you're asking too, but um, I'm with Katie. I think at this point that it's winding down. This is the biggest thing in the room. That would be what I would focus on mm-hmm. if I was like hierarchically itemizing your yeah, list. Yeah. The other thing I might do for the next therapy, if you're feeling overwhelmed by the work, I might do a, tr- a timeline. I think sometimes it's really helpful with a therapist. Mm-hmm. Just like the big events, positive big events, negative big events, meaning that you made, um, belief systems that were informed, um, really go through the thorough history and maybe find out which therapist does that. I think sometimes 
that can get missed and it can be a way to organize the work for you where you feel like I have a bigger idea of why I'm feeling what I, even if I don't know how to get into all those experiences, but yeah, I can at least might, identify an outline them. might be yeah. helpful. I think timelines are great. Yeah. Um, because I, yeah, I don't think a lot of therapists take thorough histories mm-hmm. a lot and I'll even, I mean, I feel like I do it mostly, but I'm sure there's a patient or two where it was like they were in crisis. We were just dealing with something and I maybe never got back around to it, mm-hmm. but, and I think that is really helpful. And it could also in some ways make things feel a little bit more manageable because mm-hmm. we can see it. It doesn't feel so, I don't know, not like esoteric, but kind of like I can't mm-hmm. make sense of it. Mm-hmm. It's so scattered. This can kind of, you know, contain it. The other thing is dealing with postpartum depression. You might be in survival. Yes. <laughs> so if you're in survival, I think therapy sometimes can be more tactical. Like mm-hmm. we're just working on getting you support or sleeping or nourished. And all of that timeline stuff, it might not be the right time. Yeah. It might just be, how do we get you through the next week? And let's worry about these other things when you're functioning a little bit better. Um, so that also might be something to think about like okay what are my what are my immediate needs yeah. and um this might not feel as rewarding as getting into the past <laughs> stuff but uh necessary because yeah. you can't do that past stuff unless you're in a stable place agreed agreed yeah. well thank you all for sending in your questions thank you for sitting yes. with us and answering oh, them so, so great Isn't great questions podcasting fun yes i know <laughs> well it's fun with you <laughs> 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 and thank you for being the last person yeah. that I film in this apartment with. Oh, it's crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. It's exciting. It too. is exciting. It's both. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Um, please leave reviews. Please share this with friends. Um, I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Sean, we're done. Wow. Did an hour really go by? I think it's even been over. Wait, can I just say, I wouldn't want to do that by myself, but with you, it was really fun. It's fun to bounce it back and forth, isn't it? Yeah. Sean?